The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So in the last weeks, been exploring the Eightfold Path. Um, and uh, in the context of, over the course of many weeks, exploring the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and how all of the teachings of the Buddha fit in this framework. There's one teaching that says that everything that the Buddha taught can be found somewhere in the Four Noble Truths. And so that's how I've been exploring um, these topics to really go into depth each week on some piece connected with the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And right now we're going through wise intention on the Eightfold Path. And just a a word or so about wise intention itself. Um, You know, intentions are basically shaped by our views, by what we think, what we believe. What we think and believe kind of creates or uh, our motivations to act congeal out of what we believe and what, we, um, what our views are. And so the first aspect of the Eightfold Pathwise view is basically a framework that helps us to orient our minds towards the spiritual, um, spiritual growth, spiritual understanding, in particular around how does suffering happen and how might it be possible to be free of suffering. And in that, there's a, a lot of exploration around what's helpful to lead us away from suffering and what is it that gets us caught kind of circling back into uh, suffering, repeating ourselves. There's one teaching of the Buddha that um, says, whatever one frequently ponders becomes the inclination of the mind. And if we frequently think about or ponder things that kind of pull us back into suffering, that's what's going to happen. And so the, the, the Buddha pointed to, in particular, three qualities in our minds, the kind of roots of struggle, greed, aversion, and delusion. And when our actions are motivated out of greed, aversion, and delusion, we tend to reinforce greed, aversion, delusion as being what how to, how, to, how to act, how to respond, and so those become more prominent for us. And the, uh, the other side, what takes us towards happiness, he said the opposite of those. So non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion. But to put it more positively, non-greed, generosity, non-aversion, love, and non-delusion, wisdom. Wisdom with respect to what is it that takes us towards freedom, happiness. There's a lot of cycles in these teachings. And so um, our views, you know, our views are, um, are often shaped by, they are shaped by our families, by our cultures, uh, by, by our experience. 
And there's a certain kind of particular view that is very relevant to the talk that I'd like to offer today. Um, and that view is, is around what is it that we think is going to make us happy? Our culture, actually a lot of our experience, it, 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 there's no, it's no accident that the views of our culture kind of resonate with the, the views of our experience in some ways. The, that when we get something that we like, when we, there's some kind of sense pleasure and we get that, it feels good. You know, that that this, is, this is a way that we've navigated the world from the time that we're born. Wanting pleasant, wanting to get rid of unpleasant. And when we get something that's pleasant or get rid of something that's unpleasant, it feels good. And everything, you know, this, this is true for, for animals, this is true for humans. And our cultures have kind of been designed around this experience that when I get something that I want, it's pleasant. And the, the view that's embedded in our culture and that gets reinforced is that getting what I want is what will make me happy. And this happiness is, um, you know, this is the, there is a kind of happiness that comes from getting what we want. But the Buddha was looking for a deeper kind of happiness because he began to recognize it, said that in his, in his uh, own journey, he said, you know, why should I search for happiness with things that are just decaying, with things that are going away? That's not a place for reliable happiness. And pretty much all of our sense pleasures, this, this, this pleasures that we ex- experience in our, in our bodies, these experiences are impermanent. The things we think are going to make us happy may make us happy for a short time. But that's not a very reliable kind of happiness. And so the Buddha in his quest was looking for the possibility of a deeper kind of happiness. A kind of happiness that may be possible regardless of what the conditions, the external conditions are. And so this was his quest. But we are, in some ways, we are you know, right up against our views in particular, this view around what brings happiness. And so those views of what brings happiness begin to motivate our intentions. If our view or belief is that having what I want is going to make me happy, that's how we're going to be living our lives. It's been reinforced by our experience. We get something we want, it feels good. And so the, the view that having what I want will make me happy, seems to be confirmed there when we get something that we want. It feels good. And yet we haven't, uh, often haven't explored too deeply what, what kind of happiness that is and actually how long it lasts. You know, what, how, how actually... And the Buddha offers a teaching at one point. He says, so yes, there's gratification from having something that we want. But he encourages us to, to ask, and how long, how far does that gratification extend? 
And so this, um, you know, this view around, um, basically it's a view that's embedded in desire. You know, that desire is basically telling us, follow through on me. Wanting, craving is saying, I'm the way happiness will happen. And it's, uh, you know, it believes that very, very strongly, partly because of our experience, because we, we have had that experience of happiness coming. And so we've had the, hap- the experience of having happiness arrive with getting something that we want. And so we basically, you know, haven't bothered to explore any further. And, you know, we may recognize, yes, yes, this happiness is you know, not going to last forever. Consciously, we know we, we kind of recognize that. That we know this happiness isn't going to, to last forever. Um, but we do, at some level, um, have a belief that this, this is as good as it gets. If I can string together getting one thing after another, that is the best kind of happiness there is. And then also, you know, it's been surprising to me when I look in my own mind at the happiness that I'm experiencing when I get something that I want. The kind of sense of, oh, yeah, got it. You know, it's, uh, it's quite startling to look at that mind that, you know, that, that, you know, that wanting, the wanting that, that wants that thing and the feeling that happens in that moment. It there's a kind of belief in there, you know, we, we consciously know this happiness of whatever it is, you know, something simple like, you know, having a piece of chocolate or whatever, you know, you, you really love in terms of consuming in, in the, the way of food, you know, the, that the, the mind knows consciously it doesn't last forever, but in that moment, there's a, this interesting kind of belief yeah, I figured it out. This is happiness. And this is how to be happy in my life. And so that's the, that's the delusion that's embedded in craving. And so the Buddha had this exploration, this question of, is there a, a different kind of happiness that's even possible? And that started his journey. And so these... Uh, different kinds of qualities of mind that lead us towards happiness, generosity, love, and wisdom, leading us in the direction of happiness, a deeper kind of happiness the Buddha pointed to, greed, aversion, and delusion, leading us more towards struggle and suffering. These, uh, These are the qualities he began to see as he looked at his experience. At one point he said to have, have recognized when I see thoughts that are motivated by ill will, by cruelty, and by wanting's, you know, sense desire, you know, by, by, by the, the wanting things. I see that those things will tend to lead to affliction. But if I have thoughts or are motivated by things that are connected with non with with non ill will non cruelty and um, basically renunciation not following through on sense desire 
these things will not lead to affliction. And so this is kind of the statement of, of wise intention. What is it that motivates us and what motivations will support us towards a deeper kind of happiness? And so today I'd like to reflect on probably the most challenging of these, uh, the intention of renunciation, the intention to renounce sense desire. So renunciation is, uh, you know, the word itself, I think I mentioned this last time, the word itself is not very popular (laughs) in our culture. Um, And it actually, I I said this last week too, it actually was not, um, you know, not very, uh, this, this question of renunciation, of renouncing sense pleasure, of of looking at how what our relationship to sense pleasure is at the time of the buddha people said you know right here this is this is where it's hard to follow your teaching now this this question of renunciation divides the great mass of people from your monastics and uh and, and yet in this um in this teaching that's offered the um uh, the, the the householder, the, the layperson who's speaking to the Buddha says something like, I hear that the hearts of the very young monks leap up at the idea of renunciation and grow happy and steadfast and firm. And uh, he said, you know, this just doesn't seem possible for me. And the, the Buddha responded, my feeling when I read it, it's, it's, it very much seems very compassionate. He says, yeah, so it is. You know, even when I was... Uh, a practicing when I was practicing before I became awakened, my heart did not leap up at the idea of renunciation. And so this is the Buddha talking. You know, we ha- we're in good company here with our hearts not leaping up at this idea. And so let's see if we can follow the Buddha's kind of what happened for the Buddha that he kind of turned his mind because this is really what has to happen is that essentially, you know, he offered a three-part teaching for us around, you know, how can we begin to understand that the following through on the desire for sense pleasure isn't so helpful. And he encouraged a three-part kind of exploration first. What is the gratification with respect to following through on that desire? What is the danger? And how do we free ourselves from it? The the term there is what's the escape from this this movement of the desire towards sense pleasure? And so in a a moment I'll I'll, um, I'll go through that, each, each piece a little bit. And so, you know, the Buddha saying, yes, it was the same for me. What I found is that, you know, so I, I reflected on that. Why, why isn't, I see that renunciation would be a good thing for, um, finding my way 
You know, if I'm going to, because he'd had this kind of reflection at the beginning of his journey, why is it, you know, I am not going to find happiness on the unreliable things of the world. And so um, I need to potentially renounce that, wanting to follow through on that and see if there's something else. At that point, he was not so sure. Is there something else? He, he was exploring, you know, is there another way to happiness? But he realized he needed to let go of his usual ways to happiness in order to see if there's a deeper kind of happiness that's possible for us as human beings. And so he realized he needed to renounce that pull. And, um, and yet he saw, wow, this is hard. And so in his reflection, he said, I realized that I hadn't really seen the drawbacks of following through on that sense desire. And so he began exploring that. What are the drawbacks? And so this, I think, partly led him to this exploration. You know, what is the gratification? What is the danger? And what is the escape with respect to following through on sense desire? And so... um, I like that it starts, that this teaching starts with what is the gratification with respect to sense pleasure? And I, I think this kind of points to, you know, the, the kind of a way in which that the, Buddha, the Buddha's mind worked. It's really brilliant. He didn't, he didn't say, oh, I think that renunciation is good, so I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to, you know, stop doing those things. Because, you know, you could see, we, we try this. We, we often try, like, you know, at this time of year, often we try to, um, you know, we have, we have uh, New Year's resolutions of letting go of things that we might feel like are, are um, you know, not so helpful for us, but we see ourselves just pulled right back to them. And why is that? You know, partly it's because of this um, habit of mind and the belief, the view that underlies this habit of mine, the habit of getting what I want is going to make me happy. And then not having the sense that there is another way. You know, as long as we, as we have that belief that this is as good as it gets, this kind of happiness is as good as it gets, our mind is not going to be so willing to, uh, to let it go. You know, Bhikkhu Bodhi has a beautiful way of framing this. He said, um, in terms of renunciation, he said, the Buddha does not offer as a solution the method of repression of desire. And so this is what we might think renunciation is, is repressing our desires. That's how we typically engage with our resolutions. I'm not going to do that. And so we, we may try to repress or force down or just, you know, kind of drag ourselves. I'm not going to do that. And he says, the tool the Buddha offers, the tool the Buddha holds out to free the mind from desire is understanding. Real renunciation is not a matter of compelling ourselves to give up things still inwardly cherished but of changing our perspective on them so they no longer bind us. When we understand the nature of desire, 
When we investigate it closely with keen attention, desire falls away by itself without need for struggle. So this is really, I think, what happens as we begin to investigate gratification. We investigate desire and we investigate gratification. This is where we are. This is what our minds are doing. And the Buddha, with his uh, encouragement for us to be mindful, encourages us to, to start where we are. If what, where we are is wanting sense pleasure, look at that. Be aware of what it's like. And so he encouraged this, what is the gratification with respect to sense pleasure? And so this is a really interesting thing to explore. So there is some measure of gratification that comes when we get something that we want. When we, um, you know, even just getting something that's pleasant, you know, just kind of happenstantially, you know, bumping into a pleasant situation, there's some kind of pleasure with that. We like to be associated with things that are pleasant. We like to have them in our lives. And so there is a form of, of happiness that comes with that. There's a, 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 you know, a kind of a, a delight or a joy that comes with that. But the, the Buddha, in, you know, encourages us to investigate more deeply. First of all, he's, he, he encourages us this question of how far does it extend? How long does that happiness actually last? And so to begin to notice that, we get something we want, you know, like... Uh, a cup of coffee, a piece of chocolate, something bigger even. You know, some, a, 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 we get a job that we've been hoping to get. Now, I'm not saying here, I mean, it's, this, is a, this is a little bit of a danger of interpretation, I think. Um, you know, we have, to f- we have to engage in the world. We talked about kind of aspiration last week and, and kind of wholesome the wholesome movement of the heart and mind that's motivated by generosity and love and wisdom. These qualities of the mind encourage us to act in the world, to take care of ourselves. They encourage us to uh, find livelihood that's supportive for our families, for ourselves, and for the world. And so it's not that, I mean, the, 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 the delusion embedded in, in craving and in desire Let's use craving right now. The delusion embedded in craving basically believes that the only way we're going to do something, the only way I'm going to get that job is if I'm craving it. You know, that, 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 that energy of craving is so deeply embedded in us that we believe that that is the motivating force of our organism. And, and when we are caught in that belief or that view that craving is the motivating force of our organism, it's hard to see that there are other options. That love actually can be a motivator. That compassion and wisdom can motivate us to act. And so this is a little bit of a, uh, you know, kind of a mind... Uh, acknowledgement, you know, that it's, it's, it's very hard for us when we're caught by the energy of craving to recognize that there are other motivations that are possible. 
And so when I'm, when I'm using the example of, you know, craving or, you know, that when we get something that we want, like getting a job, I'm not saying that we should not go out and look for work. I'm not saying that we should not, you know, take care of our families. But what I'm asking us to look at is some of the, the motivations that are in there. There will be both motivations out of compassion, out of care, and there will probably also be motivations out of craving. And so to begin to actually distinguish those is really helpful. And so, um, you know, we get something that we want. We may, you know, get something bigger like a job, and there is some happiness that comes from that. Uh, so so what, what is that happiness? You know, sometimes the happiness is, is just a simple association with pleasure, like with food, you know, with chocolate. You know, just the pleasure of that. It feels good. So that's one piece of the gratification is the association with pleasure. With something like getting a job, there's probably a more complex kind of happiness that that's associated with. Um, maybe a feeling of... Um, you know, relief of, yes, I'm going to be able to take care of my family and pay my bills um, so that, that it's, you know, kind of embedded with, uh, within a bigger context. Um, it's also, um, you know, connected with perhaps a feeling of being in control, of having figured something out. I can, I can do this. I, I, can, I can be in control of my life. And so these, these are other forms of happiness that come when we get something that we want, these, these kinds of things. And so the Buddha asks us to, to, to look at where is the happiness? What is actually the happiness that's coming? What is the flavor? You know, is it this feeling of control? Is it a feeling of just the, the simple pr- pleasure? Is it... Um, uh, you know, so, so what are the, the flavors? And some of those flavors of happiness might come out of compassion, out of care, out of generosity. And some of those flavors might come from this craving. And so to, to look at that, to begin to tease them apart, can be really helpful. One of the things that we start to see as we investigate desire, as we investigate this, uh, this pull towards sense pleasure... Um, that is something actually that we don't typically investigate. We don't typically notice the um, the wanting itself because we ha- often have been um, kind of co-opted by the belief, the view that's embedded in that wanting, that yes, I need to get this thing. This is the direction I need to go. And, and so, you know, we've kind of... Um, taken up residence in the beliefs that are associated with, with the, the craving. And the, um, <coughs> you know, so we're not, we are not um, aware of the experience of craving itself because craving tends to project us into the future to a kind of a, um, a s- scenario or a kind of a, you know, a kind of a, the kind of, um, what will it be like when I get that thing? You know, so there's the, the kind of the anticipation or the sense of it's going to be great when I get this thing. You know, so this, these are some of the flavors that happen around, around desire. 
And so often when we're in that mode of desire and we're in the, the motion of reaching out, it's like we're, we're in that sense of, yep, I've got this figured out. I'm going to get this thing. This is going to be great. We are not actually noticing the feeling of desire itself because our minds are projecting into the future. So we are kind of in that world, that non-existent as of yet world of what it's going to be like when I get that thing. So we are... Uh, that's a pleasant state, that fantasy, that view, that, that kind of place of the mind having constructed that world. That's a pleasant, a pleasant place. And in that pleasantness, we are not seeing what is the actual experience of the craving itself. The craving has kind of, it's got delusion in there. It's kind of shielding us from seeing that experience of craving itself in the moment. And so this is another thing that we're asked to do in, in exploring the gratification around desire is what actually going on? What is the desire? And this is what Bhikkhu Bodhi said, you know, when we investigate desire, where did that go? Real renunciation is not a matter of compelling ourselves to give th- up things still inwardly cherished, but of changing our perspective on them so they no longer bind us. When we understand the nature of desire, when we investigate it closely with keen attention, desire falls away by itself without the need for struggle. So this is, you know, investigating desire. What is the experience of craving? When we start to, and it it doesn't take long, actually, when we feel a a craving, if you can play with this, I mean, I just like to encourage you to play with it, even with the simple, maybe especially with simple desires. Um, Some, something that you want, a food or a, you know, to, to do something simple. I'm not saying to, 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 Never do that thing, but to just spend some time looking at the desire itself. What does it feel like to desire? What is that actual experience? When we start to look at it, as soon as desire happens, as soon as that craving arises, it comes with the feeling that there is something lacking in my life. So there's a feeling that something's wrong. When we experience craving right in the moment, it feels like something is wrong. It's got a kind of tension, a tightness to it. It's also got that motivation to fill that hole. It's got that motivation to say, this, there's this lack. I need to fill that lack in order to be happy. And so the, that wanting springing up, that craving springing up, creates that sense of lack and then it feels like we need to fill that sense of lack in order to be happy. That's all kind of embedded in the craving itself. And so we begin to, uh, to recognize that the craving is not a good thing, actually. It's not, it, it's not a happy thing. When we feel that immediately in the present moment, we begin to understand mindfulness. When we're mindful of it in the present moment, our mind begins to directly understand this kind of motivation is not leading towards well-being. So that, 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 that is partly how this 
when, when Bhikkhu Bodhi says, desire falls away by itself without the need for struggle, this is partly how that happens. Because our mind understands very directly when we're aware of that craving itself, we see this is not the way to happiness. And so our mind begins to kind of shift and maybe look at different possibilities, different ways. So that's one piece that's useful in terms of looking at desire. We begin to see that that experience itself is painful. That the craving itself is painful. We have, through the the kind of, or craving has, it's not us so much, craving has convinced us that craving is good because we get that feeling of, oh yeah, it's going to be so great. Essentially, what craving is willing to do is to forego the, experience, forego the well-being here and now for some idea of a fantasy of, of some kind of happiness in the future. And so when we begin to see that directly, the mind begins to shift. There's a kind of a transformation of our relationship to this craving. So that's one piece that we see. The next piece that we can see, and this, is, this, is, this can be very startling, um, uh, when we, we get something that we want, as, as I said, you know, there is some kind of happiness that comes with that. But what I want to propose to you is that the most, the most of the happiness that comes from getting what we want is not actually the having of that thing. But actually it is the release from the feeling of lack, the letting go of the craving that is the, be- the bigger uh, part of that happiness. We can actually start to see this. At one point I was uh, on retreat and I was having a lot of desire around looking at people. I was on a three-month retreat and we were encouraged not to look around too much. And uh, so I was, you know, keeping my gaze kind of down and wasn't looking up um, at people and uh, found that I really wanted to look at people. I really wanted to see who was in the room with me. And um, I was being a good yogi and I was kind of putting the blinders on and saying, I'm not going to look. And that was kind of the repressive form of engaging with it. Because I was not, I was just doing what I was told to do as opposed to being curious about, you know, well, what is this desire anyway? Well, this went on for weeks. It was a three-month retreat. So it went on for weeks that I was like, I had the blinders on, I'm not going to look. And at some point I began to recognize, well, this is just desire that's arising. So why don't I look at that? This is what the Buddha encouraged. Let me just look at the desire, see what it is. I didn't follow through on the looking at this point. It was just, I want to recognize the desire. So instead of it being just like, put the blinders on and force myself not to look, it was, okay, as soon as there's this... um, you know, as soon as it feels like I want to look at somebody, what does that experience feel like? 
And it felt like almost a magnet, you know? It's like it felt like this magnetic pull to kind of look at somebody. It's just this leaning towards. And so I began to notice that. I began to feel into that. It was still hard not to look, but there was more interest in the investigation itself. There was more of a sense of, well, what is this desire anyway? And then I began to notice that, um, you know, it had its conditions, that when there was nobody around, I began to notice the absence of that desire. I was doing walking meditation often when this desire sprang up because that's where I had my, my, my eyes open. And if I was doing walking meditation someplace there wasn't anybody else, there wasn't any desire to look at people. Well, that makes sense. And as soon as somebody came into my field of vision, I felt desire spring into being. It's like, there it is. I get to look at it now. And how long does it last? How long does that desire go on? That desire went on as long as a person was, it was within view, within the possibility where it wouldn't be too hard to look at the person. And I could feel it. It got it like, I, I, you know, somebody would kind of pop into my peripheral vision, the desire would begin. And it's like, the easier it got to just like glance up, the stronger the desire got. And I could feel it get stronger and stronger, the the desire just strengthening. And then maybe they're walking right in front of me. It would be so easy just to glance up and see who it is. I just felt the desire. And then the person like went up the stairs and went into the door. And the desire vanished. That experience of seeing the desire vanish. I realized in that moment, this was that place of of recognizing that it was the desire that was creating the whole like belief that I needed to look at that person in order to be happy. And the, the, the feeling of freedom that came and that desire let go, it was like being released from a vice grip. There was so much ease And so when we get something that we want, you know, when we're, we're following through on our, on our um, desires and we get something that we want, we not only get the pleasure of the having, but for a moment or two, for just a brief moment perhaps, because our habit of desire is so strong, but for a few moments we might get the, we might get a sense or we might, we might, um, we are experiencing the happiness of having that wanting go away. And so this pattern is, is essentially partly what drives this cycle of desire. This is why it's so powerful. We have the, the sense of, I get something that I want, it feels good. And we, we're not so aware that most of the feeling good is because the desire has gone away. But instead, as that desire, as that, you know, as that, um, the pleasure of that particular having begins to weaken, begins to fade because there's impermanence, because that sense pleasure is unreliable, what does our mind do? Well, it, it basically thinks, well, the last time that I felt really good was when I got something that I wanted. And so what can I want? 
And we end up on this cycle. Again, because there is the belief that the wanting and the having is as good as it gets. And so we, we condition, you know, it's like the, the, the having, we follow through on that wanting, we get that moment of the release of the wanting, and, and we, um, you know, feel good. But that doesn't last very long either. And so again, there's this, you know, when did I feel good? Was when, when, when it's something, you know, when I had something. And so we just end up on this cycle. Wanting, having, the fading of that happiness kind of searching, where can I be happy again? Oh, that thing, I'll want that thing. We end up wanting to want. So this is a very powerful cycle if we don't take the time to investigate it and begin to learn how does it work. When, in that moment, when in my, on my retreat, when I saw that the wanting vanished without ever having gotten what I wanted, that was a powerful moment because in that moment the, the mind could really realize, oh, the having is really the least part of the happiness that comes. It really is this letting go of the wanting. And, you know, delusion, that delusion embedded in that craving is not going to tell you that when the craving goes away, it won't be a problem because the craving has fully bought into its belief that I need to have that thing. And so again, it's like we, we, we need to take this time to investigate craving, to begin to see how it works, what happens. As we do this investigation, we investigate sense pleasure, we investigate the happiness that comes with it, we begin to see that a lot of the happiness is because of the release of wanting. That kind of shifts our whole perspective. I mean, that moment, I think, was a very powerful moment in my practice of seeing how the wanting released and how much how much settling and how much happiness there was through the not having through the release of the craving it it created a whole different understanding in my mind that began to undermine that belief that view having what I want is going to make me happy and so as we begin to investigate this investigate desire our mind begins to very naturally understand the drawbacks of this the drawbacks around this kind of cycle that it just propels us in this cycle of the wanting, the drawback of the, the, the non-well-being that's associated with craving in the moment. There's a poem, there's a, there's a, a, uh, a sutta and a poem I want to share that I feel like is kind of connected with this. So the, um, the Buddha says, suppose someone was being borne along by the current of a river that seemed pleasant and agreeable. You know, just like nice, calm current, you're floating down and it's like pleasant, you're just floating down the river. But upon seeing him, a keen-sighted person standing on the bank would call out, hey, although you're being borne along by the current, the river, 
the current of a river that seems pleasant and agreeable. Lower down, there's a pool with turbulent waves and swirling eddies. On reaching that pool, you will, suffer, you will die or suffer close to death. Then, upon hearing the words of that person, the, the person would struggle against the current with hands and feet, if, if they believed them. <laughs> you know, so this is this is part of the catch. It's like kind of hard to believe. Oh, how can it possibly? I'm sure I can just hang out in this. Like this is pleasant. I'm just it's calm current right now. I can hang out here for a little longer. A more modern poem around this. As though the river were a floor. We position our table and chairs upon it, eat and have conversation. As it moves along, we notice, calmly as though dining room paintings were being replaced, the changing scene along the shore. We do know, we do know this is the Niagara River, but it is hard to remember what that means. It is hard to remember what this means. That is why we need to investigate the desire, get to know it. Through that we will see the, um, the drawbacks, the danger. And it's not that we'll always not act. And in, at, in fact, what seems to happen you know, we begin, at, at the beginning we start to see, oh yeah, it's not so helpful to follow through on that, but we still are so pulled by our habit of desire. And so we, we, we get to watch that. We get to watch it unfold. We get to see what happens. And then the, the, the instruction is, notice how long the happiness lasts when you follow through on it. So begin to look at what's actually true here. And at times, too, we will find mixed motivations. We'll see, like in that example of, of finding a, a job, you know, there are motivations that are based on compassion and wisdom to take care of ourselves and find a job. There's also probably some fear and some, some uh, craving associated with that. It's possible to begin to, to notice those differences. If we were to wait until there were no crave, was no craving in our minds to act, we would probably, you know, we'd probably not do anything. But we can begin to recognize that there are motivations of craving that are not so helpful and motivations of compassion and care and love and generosity and wisdom. And maybe in that recognition, you know, to, to, as, we, as we see, yes, there is this kind of craving and a sense of, I'm not going to be okay unless I get this thing. But there's also the recognition of, yeah, this is helpful. This is what's going to let me take care of myself. And so if, if possible, sometimes we can land a little more on the side of the wholesome motivations than the unwholesome motivations. Because we are going to have mixed motivations. But continue to investigate. It's not helpful to deny, to say, well, there's those wholesome motivations, so I'm not going to pay attention to that craving. That's not helpful either. Kind of repress that craving. 
it's really helpful to know, yes, there is craving here. And what is that like? Well, maybe there's some fear associated with this this movement. Maybe there's some confusion and some anxiety. What are those like? So again, being with the experience. And recognizing that there are also you know, some, some motivations of compassion and care that are also at play. So as we see the danger, as we, as we begin to recognize the danger directly of craving, it does not have the sense that when I, when I touch into craving in the present moment, this does not lead to well-being. As we begin to recognize that more directly, the, the uh, very ephemeral nature of the happiness that comes through following through on craving, we begin to recognize that the way towards a different kind of happiness is through letting go of craving. And, and at, that happens the, the letting go, the abandonment of craving is not something that we do by saying, I'm going to let that go. It is very much something that comes through understanding. And so the escape, the escape is not something that, that we, that our mind, that, that our conscious uh, decision-making process usually can affect. But the the wisdom that comes through the seeing, it's like our minds begin to, uh, essentially I think this happens because our organism really wants to move in the direction of a, of a deeper kind of well-being. And when it sees that the craving itself is not a form of well-being, it's like our minds begin to, to kind of do this exploration and experimentation. What, what might be another way? And we might begin to stumble into, as I did in that example, of a time when craving lets go. And we get a direct experience of that escape. That is how the letting go of craving happens, is through understanding. And so it all begins, really to me, it begins with this investigation. What is the gratification? So not to just simply put the blinders on and say, I'm not going to do this, but to be curious. What is it? What is this desire? What is the pleasure that comes with following through on that? Investigate. Be curious about that. That will be for your long-term welfare and happiness. So there's a few minutes for some comments or questions. If there's anything that's, that's come up. Yeah, Use the mic. And it's not on, so you'll have to turn the button on. So, um, once you understood that you were desiring to see people, and then you finally realized the desire, how did you let go of <laughs> that desire? So again, this is a great question, because it, it kind of points to what I just said, that I didn't do the letting go, but what happened there, it wasn't immediate, actually. You know, it didn't immediately go away, that desire to look at people. But what I began to recognize at first was 
that, um, you know, I would see the desire spring up and I would know, oh, this is going to go away when the person disappears. And I was like, I can't wait to watch it go away. <laughs> it's like, it, f- it feels so good to release, you know? So it's kind of like I got a little attached to that feeling of the letting go when it, you know, when, it, when the person went out of my field of vision. And so for a while, that's what happened, is like I would see that desire spring up and I'd get kind of excited to say, oh, I get to watch it go away. <laughs> and, and then at some point, you know, I, I don't know how long it was, maybe another week or more even of watching that. At some point, while I was watching, while I was watching this whole process, I, I, you know, I, it was you know, seeing somebody in my peripheral vision and then, you know, seeing that desire get strong. And I realized at some point, and this was something that I didn't, I didn't like think about. It was wisdom that realized this, really. But wisdom realized, you know, some, some insight arose. It was, it was an understanding that arose that I was holding on to that wanting in order to see it go away. <laughs> and when I realized that, the wanting vanished immediately, even though the person was still there. And that was a completely different experience. I was like, wow, I don't have to want that. But again, I didn't have to, I didn't, I didn't make that happen. It, it was the understanding, the understanding that I was holding on to that wanting in order to get that hit of happiness of seeing it go away. And, and, you know, in that moment, the wanting just released. It was actually, it was actually a much deeper kind of, of, of happiness of just like, oh, yeah, I don't have to, I don't have to do that. And at, after that point, it didn't come back. It just, it just let go. So, you know, it, it very much is, to me, it very much is that the work was in the seeing of the desire, the seeing of the kind of happiness that, that believed it was going to come. You know, I'm sure I didn't prevent, I didn't like never look at somebody, you know. So, you know, the seeing of the kind of, the, the, what happened when I did look at somebody. So it was all an investigation. And the, the understanding grew. And it was that growth of understanding that allowed that wanting to go away. So that's a great question. Thank you. And it's time to stop. So thank you all. We'll continue with wise intention when I come. I'm away next week, but I'm back the following week. So we'll continue with it next week, the next time.